I'm Betsy. Listen, I just read a book that's going to change your entire worldview on climate change. Well, I've read parts of it before. The introduction to this book was one of the first things I remember reading in my Environmental Studies 150 class. And if you don't know me, my intro to Environmental Studies class with Corey changed my entire career path. At the time, I was a pre-med major, and a year, a pandemic, and about two parts per million on the Keeling curve later, I'm an Environmental Studies major. This book is good. It has three parts. Bad timing, magical thinking, and starting anyway. Basically, this book is about how the status quo is no longer an option. There's no more shrugging off your own personal decisions or letting massive polluters or politicians off the hook. There's no more leaving it to the scientists or leaving it to the activists. And we need to stop addressing the symptoms and start looking at the root problems. This book hits hard, hits fast, and hits everything. The reason there hasn't been meaningful climate legislation since the 80s. The reason your free-market-loving great-uncle doesn't believe in climate change. The reason an environmental group would drill for oil on their own nature reserve. At risk of sounding like a conspiracy theorist, or worse, a sociology minor, it's all connected. This amazing book is This Changes Everything by Naomi Klein. And you're listening to People, Planet, and Profit, a podcast by the CSP-SJU Sustainability Office. Klein's book has three major parts, plus that killer introduction. The first part is called Bad Timing. So here's the deal. At a crucial point in American history, so like 70s, 80s, Reagan era, we had two opposing forces. You had climate science and policy politely and unobtrusively saying, hey, we should stop burning fossil fuels. And then you had corporate globalization, whose goal was to burn as much fossil fuel as needed to kickstart global trade. Literally, the first world trade deals and the first climate policies were being created at the same time. And in the late 80s through the 2000s, no one was really paying enough attention to the climate or the ethical side effects of globalization. So globalization kept winning and winning, and the climate kept losing and losing, and CO2 kept pouring into the environmental commons we call our atmosphere, and no one had to claim responsibility. The second part, then, is called magical thinking. Here, Klein talks about how even big green environmental groups got caught up in thinking that free markets would solve climate change. Or billionaires who say we should rely on new technology to save us without addressing our society or behavior at all. Or scientists who think our last best hope is altering the planet with geoengineering or using science to get off it. Basically, we're willing to do anything as a society to stop climate change or escape it, except address the fundamental way our economy runs. Klein introduces us to the Heartland Conference on Climate Change, which she calls the premier gathering for those dedicated to denying the overwhelming scientific consensus that human activity is warming the planet. The climate denier speakers at this event express very debunked opinions. CO2 isn't causing warming. CO2 is causing warming, but that's not bad. Warming's actually due to the sun, etc. But all of them drive home one point. Climate change must be false, because if it's real, then the only way to stop it would be to rethink capitalism. And even though they're dead wrong about the science, Klein shrugs, climate deniers are being more realistic about the implications, the scale of climate change, than most people in the political center, who think the solution to climate change is just replacing gas cars with electric ones. When in reality, we really do need a total turnaround, a complete reevaluation of what we care about, what we want our world to look like, and how we get there. So, what do we do about it? This brings us to part three, starting anyway. 
Klein talks about one of my favorite topics, which is prefigurative action, which basically means organize your life and your communities in the way you want to live, then demand that everyone else catch up. She talks about blockadia, the violent resistance of local at-risk people to extractive, environmentally harmful projects. She talks about indigenous rights, indigenous knowledge, and the indigenous land, people, and culture we need to respect or fully return. Then she talks to each of us individually. I'll quote Klein at length to finish off this review. She says it better than I can. I denied climate change for longer than I care to admit. I knew it was happening, sure. Not like Donald Trump and the Tea Partiers going on about how the continued existence of winter proves it's all a hoax, but I stayed pretty hazy on the details and only skimmed most of the news stories, especially the really scary ones. I told myself the science was too complicated and that the environmentalists were dealing with it. And I continued to behave as if there was nothing wrong with the shiny card in my wallet attesting to my elite frequent flyer status. A great many of us engage in this kind of climate change denial. We look for a split second, and then we look away. Or we look, and then turn it into a joke. More signs of the apocalypse! Which is another way of looking away. Or we look, but we tell ourselves that all we can do is focus on ourselves. Meditate and shop at farmers' markets and stop driving, but forget trying to actually change the systems that are making the crisis inevitable, because that's too much bad energy and it will never work. And at first, it may appear as if we are looking, because many of these lifestyle changes are indeed part of the solution, but we still have one eye tightly shut. Or maybe we do look, really look, but then inevitably we seem to forget. Remember and then forget again. Climate change is like that. It's hard to keep it in your head for very long. We engage in this odd form of on-again, off-again, ecological amnesia for perfectly rational reasons. We deny because we fear that letting in the full reality of this crisis will change everything. And we are right. We know that if we continue on our current path of allowing emissions to rise year after year, climate change will change everything about our world. Major cities will very likely drown Ancient cultures will be swallowed by the seas, and there's a very high chance that our children will spend a great deal of their lives fleeing and recovering from vicious storms and extreme droughts. And we don't have to do anything to bring about this future. All we have to do is nothing. Just continue to do what we are doing now, whether it's counting on a techno fix or tending to our gardens or telling ourselves we're unfortunately too busy to deal with it. All we have to do is not react as if this is a full-blown crisis. All we have to do is keep on denying how frightened we actually are, and then bit by bit we will have arrived at the place we most fear, the thing from which we've been averting our eyes. No additional effort required. There are ways of preventing this grim future, or at least making it a lot less dire. But the catch is that these also involve changing everything. For us high consumers, it involves changing how we live, how our economies function, even the stories we tell about our place on Earth. The good news is that many of these changes are distinctly uncatastrophic. Many are downright exciting, but I didn't discover this for a long while. Slavery wasn't a crisis for British and American elites until abolitionism turned it into one. Racial discrimination wasn't a crisis until the civil rights movement turned it into one. In the very same way, if enough of us stop looking away and decide that climate change is a crisis worthy of Marshall Plan levels of response, then it will become one. End quote.
I remember this quote from my intro class in particular. Klein says simply, What the climate needs to avoid collapse is a contraction in humanity's use of resources. What our economic model demands to avoid collapse is unfettered expansion. Only one of these sets of rules can be changed, and it's not the laws of nature. Please read This Changes Everything. CSB SJU has it in Alquin Library and as an ebook. Find it somewhere, anywhere, check it out, and read the introduction if nothing else. It describes, better than anything I've read before or since, the revolution of values we need and why we need it. Revolution of values is a term Martin Luther King Jr. used, who she quotes in the conclusion, saying, quote, We must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. When machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. End quote. We have global resilience. More every day, more every year, and we have a growing movement that's readier than ever to admit there's a problem deeper than a trendy low-waste lifestyle can fix. And I'll admit that as the zero-waste worker. I had my own eyes closed for a while. But there's something you can do as a CSB SJU student literally right now Go sign the letter of opposition to Line 3 before school ends. If we succeed in stopping Line 3, it might be the last tar sands pipeline ever built. Go to csbsju.edu sustainability and click Line 3 on the left sidebar. From there, you can follow Line 3 water protectors on social media, you can watch Dr. Corey Gross talk about the pipeline, and you can watch Honor the Earth's documentary about pipeline resistance. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I really hope you read the book. It's a really awesome one. Uh, remember to follow the office on social media at CSBSJU Sustainability on Instagram. And sign up for our weekly email list on that same, the sustainability homepage. So csbsju.edu slash sustainability. Thank you very much and have a good week.